morning. This is, a, this is an amen kind of church, so if I say something that, that makes you, you and your insides go, whoo, then, then put the who outside of you. I'd appreciate it. Go whoo or amen. And uh, I, I don't want just you. If you're the only person that has the opportunity to say amen, um, then that's only half of our church right now. The other half of our church right now is watching online. So today we're going to give them an opportunity uh, to say whoo as well. So you can see up, uh, do we have that, David? Um, the, uh, we have up in the corner here, maybe, for, maybe it's not going to work. In just a minute, maybe it'll show up, but we have a way for the, if you've ever watched online before, you know, there, I call it the preach at heart, where people watching online can go, the preach at heart. Is it up? Is it coming? It, okay, well, there you go. People are loving it already. Uh, so that's people saying amen um, online. So the other half of our church, see, we don't want to just export our service. We're importing people as well. So they're, they're a part of this. We're not just making some video and doing DVD. We're importing people. Um, and so I, I thought that would be a good reminder for us uh, here in this room. Uh, just to remember that our church is twice as big as what we see in this room. Uh, so we welcome everyone watching online. Can we put our hands together? And if you're in the room, welcome the people watching online. We're glad you're here. <clears throat> this series that we're in is uh, Divine Encounters. We're looking at ex uh, instances in the Bible where someone had an encounter with the divine and what we can learn from that. And today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. You can go ahead and start flipping there. But in this story, it's, it's the story where, where Jesus walked on water and Peter walked on water too. How cool is this, right? So, so in the whole scheme of things, you got to just, just, let me put it in the framework here. Jesus and his disciples were out and about. Jesus was teaching and all these people were hungry and the disciples were like, Jesus, you got to send everyone home so they can eat. And he's like, nah, you give them something to eat. And the disciples passed out food. It wasn't Jesus passed out food. The disciples said, you did it. Jesus, Jesus it's very clear in the scripture, Jesus shared something about the kingdom with his disciples. Like, I'm sharing this with you. You get to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so he gave something to them. And then the disciples passed out food to 5,000 people. Yes. And then Jesus sent them out into the, to, you know, hey, go, go across the lake here, go across. And Jesus went up on the mountain to pray and the winds were against him. They couldn't get through. And the disciples were out there rowing and rowing. They couldn't get, get past because the wind was slowing them down. And Jesus looked down and he saw them, the, uh, I think it was Mark. In Mark's account, it says, Jesus saw them struggling. And so there they were rowing. And at the very last minute, Jesus comes down and comes out into the lake. And the disciples freak out. How could someone be on the water? Can't be possible. And Peter says, if that's really you, tell me to come out. And Jesus says, come on out here, Peter. Come on, come on, come on, buddy. Hop out. And Peter does. And he walks on water and then starts to get worried when he sees the waves. And he's like, whoa, blah, 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 blah. And Jesus reaches down and grabs them, and they get back in the boat. So that's the story we're looking at, and I want to dig a little deep into this story. Uh, we're going to start in um, verse 22. Um, so I hope, hope you're there. Uh, let me first tell you, I just got to tell you this quick story. So my, um, I grew up with a family pet. We had dogs when I grew up. Big, smelly, furry dogs. That, that, that was my childhood. And I wanted to have a similar childhood for my children. So I wanted big, furry dogs for my house. But I'm married to my wife, you see. <laughs> Who doesn't want hairy, smelly dogs in the house? 
I get that. I get that. But doggone it. I'm, I'm the man of the house. Who makes the decisions around here? So I decided, unilaterally, I decided that my family, my children, were going to get pets. And so I got both of my kids a pet for Christmas. In fact, we have a picture, I think, a picture of the pets I got my kids for Christmas. Can we go ahead and put that up? There they are. <laughs> Chia pet, right? It counts. It counts. So, so we have pets now. My dream is fulfilled. We have pets. And I didn't quite realize how long it takes before they're hairy. Have you ever done a chia pet before? Like, I thought it'd be like, like you put something on and like, I don't know, like a bath bomb, you put it in and I didn't know. But they're seeds and they grow. Who would have thunk? If I had to put water in this, and, and I thought, you know, you water it, you're good. But no, the chia, the way it, the chia pet works, just in case you ever wanted to know, this is how a chia pet works. It's a, it's a clay vessel and water seeps through it. It's seeping through it and it's constantly draining out. So you got to keep it in a tray and then you keep dumping the tray. Otherwise, water goes all over your counter. Hashtag learn from my fail. So, but the water's seeping out, so you got to keep the water up. And then water seeps out again. You got to keep the water up. Water seeps out again. You got to keep the water up. You just have to keep doing this. And lo and behold, poof, you got yourself a furry pet. This story, I think, helps us understand how no matter what's going on in our life, no matter how discouraging things get, no matter how hard that wind's blowing, you just got to keep putting the water in. You just got to keep rowing. Don't give up. Jesus said it. Do you trust him or don't you? All right, verse 22. Verse 22. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. I'm going to get there. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. This is right after they fed 5,000 people. And it starts by saying immediately. So we know it happened right after that. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now we know that they get into that lake and they head straight into really strong wind and they struggle. We know there's a storm coming. Who sent them into that storm? Immediately, the devil made them, oh. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Now it'd be one thing if Jesus didn't know that there was a storm coming. He'd be like, oh, he, oh Jesus was surprised about the wind. We're talking about the, the, the Son of God. We're talking about God himself. He knew. And Jesus sent the disciples straight into the storm, knowing full well what he was doing. He sent them in there, and the Gospel of Mark says that Jesus later watched them struggle. Here's number one. If you want to take notes, you can write these, this down. Some storms are unavoidable. They're just going to be there. Some storms are unavoidable. can't blame everything on the devil. You see, when we're talking about storms, you understand what I'm saying when I talk about storms with your, with your life. You may have physical storms, emotional storms, psychological storms, faith-questioning storms, relationship storms, work storms, school storms. But I think sometimes we spend a whole lot of energy trying to figure out how to get out of the storm we're in when really we should have just been trying to figure out what God wanted to show us in the storm. You see, let's keep going. Verse 23. After he had dismissed them, Jesus went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. 
Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, everybody say, shortly before dawn. Shortly before dawn. Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. He waited all night. All night long, he let them go out there. And we know it's coming. The verse is coming where when Jesus gets in the boat, the waves calm down. He let them struggle. Why would he do such a thing? Number two, God's timing is designed to teach you to trust. God's timing is designed to teach you to trust. Why would he do such a thing? He, he waits on the mountaintop, watches us struggle. Is he, is he mean? Is he, is he trying to keep them down? No, 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 no. You see, this is about perspective. If it's God's priority to comfort us, if our comfort is God's priority, then right here in Matthew chapter 14, we see a mistake. Jesus goofed. Jesus messed up. If his, if his it, right, it doesn't happen. Jesus can't mess up. He's perfect. But if his priority was comfort, our comfort, this would have been a mistake. His timing was off. But if his priority was changing us, Amen. it makes perfect sense Amen. why he would wait. It's his time. Right. It's his, it would make perfect sense why he was a little late. God's timing is not designed to give you relief. Jesus didn't die on a cross so you can be comfortable. He died on the cross to change you, to make a way for you to to be with him and and to live out his purpose. There's a story in the Bible about Lazarus who, um, he was really sick and Lazarus' friend said, Jesus, Jesus, come heal Lazarus. You know, your buddy, Laz, Lazzy. That's what they called him, Lazzy. When, they couldn't fi- when Lazarus' mom couldn't find him, she was like, Lazzy, here, boy. <laughs> so, sometimes I like to know which, which way down the toilet my jokes go. Just cut. <laughs> that was a bad one. So Lazarus, Jesus' friend, was really sick, and um, Lazarus' friend says, Jesus, you, come heal him. You heal other people. Come heal your friend, Lazarus. And Jesus took a sweet time to get there. And when he got there, Lazarus, Lazarus had died. And as, when Jesus got there, and you know, he cried. And Lazarus' friend says, Jesus, you're late. If you were only here, but you're four days late. And as Aaron Wilburn says in his song that he wrote, when he's four days late, he can still be on time. And Jesus, Jesus pulled Lazarus out. He didn't pull him out. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And out he came. That was the other thing that Lazarus' mom said when she couldn't find him. Lazarus, come forth. That went the other way. <laughs> oh, man. See, this is why we have two services. So I could try out some jokes and find out which ones to use in the 11 o'clock. <laughs> Maybe you're in a storm today. Maybe you're, you're watching online and you're, you're in your storm. You're, in your, you're heading right into the wind. going on? I thought I was doing the right thing. I, I mean, I, I committed my life to Jesus, and now this? Jesus 
can be late and still be on time. That's possible. Don't give up. Don't quit rowing. Don't quit rowing. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't quit rowing. Type it in the chat. Don't quit rowing. Just maybe the storm that you're in is worth going through because there's something better on the other side of the lake. We don't like that, do we? I like my timing. Usually this kind of thing gets worked up over, you know, God didn't do what I think he should do. When I thought he should do it. The way I thought he should do it. Does anyone else sometimes struggle with not being the God? Like, I just, sometimes I wish I had all control. But the, the safest place in the world to be is smack dab in the middle of the will of Jesus and in the hands of Jesus. It's the safest place to be. All right, so, so they're out there, they're rowing, they're struggling. Mark says Jesus watched them struggle and he came out at the very last minute. We're gonna read now in verse 26. When the disciples saw him, Jesus, walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. Ooh, some little spooky soundtrack came over the PA on the boat. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then Peter said, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. You see, number three, storms can make you doubt or trust. Here's what I mean. Storms often come after revelation. They had, those disciples had just fed 5,000 people. You go back and read it. Jesus didn't, in the passages, Jesus didn't multiply it and then hand it to them. He said, you give them something to eat. The disciples, with Jesus' power, fed the multitude. And here we are, just a few hours later. They don't believe that this could be Jesus. Like, didn't they get it? If they had gotten it, if they had figured out, this is, this is actually God. This is the Messiah. We see it now, back, like back in hindsight, like we know this is Jesus, but the, we know this is God. But then they were just like, what? It must be a, it must be a ghost. Didn't they figure it out? The stormy place, the storms placed upon us can sometimes make us wonder if we're doing the right thing or not. The storm placed upon our life may be an indicator that we should turn back around, or it just may be an indicator that you're smack dab in the will of Jesus. Think about how those disciples would have to have felt. Jesus said, go on across there, and there they go. We've been been paddling for 20 minutes, and I I think I'm about five feet because of the wind. They were buffeted by the wind. Maybe we didn't hear Jesus right. Hey, Judas, you think maybe? I don't want to ask you. John! You think maybe we heard the right thing? Should we keep paddling or maybe we just head back? When you're placed in a storm, it's possible Jesus put you there to grow you. And we could, we could have this, these thoughts going through our head. You heard God, you start doing what he says. Oh, it's hard. 
But if Jesus said it, go pedal. Pedal, paddle. You could pedal too if you're on a bike. But for this illustration, we're going to paddle. See, this this idea happened over and over again. After Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary and Jesus became refugees to Egypt. Great revelation followed by a storm. Jesus' baptism, great revelation. Jesus was baptized and the booming voice came out of heaven and said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Here comes a dove, there's the Holy Spirit. Immediately afterwards, Jesus went into the wilderness and was tempted. Storm. The disciples repeatedly obeyed Jesus. Great revelation. And then they were challenged by the religious leaders. Storm. In John 6, Jesus shared secrets of the kingdom with his people. And then most of them left him and abandoned him. And he felt deserted. Storm. You may have made a decision for Jesus. Or recommitted your life to him. Or recommitted a certain aspect of your life to him. If you've done that you may have experienced a storm immediately on the other side. Ah, probably, that probably wasn't the right thing. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't have, maybe I didn't hear right. Because, you know, being a Christian is supposed to be easier. No, it's not. And here in this story, Jesus sent them across the lake and watched them struggle. And they may have wondered, did we even hear Jesus right? Should we go back? But they believed Jesus sent them and they knew that he would be there. They knew that there would be something worthwhile on the other side of the storm, so they kept rowing. Come on. Uh, maybe you're like me. The, the bigger my storms get, the bigger my what ifs get, the bigger my concerns get, the bigger my fears get. What if, what if this storm is the end? But, but here's the thing. You can doubt when you're in a storm. You can doubt or you can trust in what God says. The what ifs go both ways. What if this is the end? What if it isn't? What if, what, if this, what if this fight is the end of my marriage? What if it's the beginning of you and your spouse finally being able to communicate the way you ought to have? What if, what if this mistake is the end of my job? What if that's exactly what you needed to go through to learn so you can get the next promotion? What if, what if this argument is the end of my child's respect in me? What if that's the turning point to you no longer exacerbating your, your child and they earn respect in you? What if? And Peter looked at Jesus and he has to be thinking. Jesus says, Jesus is out there, he's walking. And, and Peter has to be thinking, what if we're about to sink? What if this ghost is about to kill all of us? We're all gonna die. And Peter, contrary to popular belief, he does not show great faith in getting out of the boat. He had little faith, as we'll see in just a second. Great faith would be all the disciples saying, oh, it's a ghost. And Peter stood up and said, no, that's Jesus, right? That's Jesus and I know who he is. That'd be great faith. Peter didn't have great faith in this story. He had little faith. He had just enough and God used it. He had just enough to say, what if? What if we're gonna die? What if we're not? He just left it open to possibility. If that's you, then tell me to get out. Tell me to get out of this boat and come to you. And God was able to use that. Amen. 
If that's you, Jesus, just, just give me a word. Just, just give me the word and I'll trust it. If you speak, then I'll trust it. All I need is a word. And that's exactly what Jesus gave him. Let's keep going. Um, what verse is next? 29. Come, he said. Come, he said. That's all Jesus told him. Come. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Here's number four. You need to trust the word. You need to trust the word. Peter only needed the word come, and he followed. Faith doesn't need to be complicated. Sometimes we just need to trust the word. Trust the word. Trust what Jesus said. Put yourself back a few thousand years and, and imagine yourself being where Peter was. How would you react if Jesus told you to get out of the boat and start walking on the water? Wouldn't you have some questions? Like it wasn't like, like a step. This had to have been a big enough boat for at least 12 people in it. And so, there, you know, Peter's there and, you know, there's Bartholomew and James and John and the other John, not, not as good as the other one. And, um, <laughs> thanks. And Judas is there, of course. And, and Jesus says, come. And he climbs out. Wouldn't you have some questions? How's this going to work? Is there, is there a rope? You gotta, you gotta, is there a rope I should hang on to? Or? Is there a flotation device or some kind of flotation device I should put on my, my boots? We can call them buoy boots. You heard it here, folks. I want royalties on the patent of a buoy boot. Do I need a buoy boot? Wouldn't you have questions? I'd have some questions. How is this supposed to work? You just want me to get out on the water? Peter showed strong faith right here. He needed the word. Come. Okay. And he got out and, and defied the laws of physics. And he walked on the water. And I don't think he walked two or three steps. You see, if Jesus was like two or three steps away, they wouldn't have said, oh, it's a ghost. Who is that? It, I think maybe, huh? They would have known. He would have been right in front of them. It would have been clear. He was just far enough away that they had to wonder. I, th I, think, I think Peter took a little bit of a walk on the water. And all it took was direction. Come. Jesus didn't give details. He didn't give a play-by-play. -play. This is what you do to walk on water. He said, come. Sometimes the deepest things that Jesus says is the simplest things. And he just gives us the direction and expects us to run with it. Expects us to obey it and live it out. That's enough. Jesus said to us, live at peace. Jesus said to us, love one another. Jesus said to us, forgive. Have you ever asked God to confirm something that you know he already told you? God, is it really your will that I forgive so and so? Yes, yes. It's always God's will for you to forgive. Always. We don't need a confirmation on that. The command is the confirmation. Jesus said it. He gives us the word. We should trust in it. That's actually great faith, as we'll see in just a second. He may not give you step-by-step -step instructions for your specific challenge. He may just give you the word. Come. And we are to trust the direction of God, even when the wind picks up. Did Jesus say to go out into that lake or not? 
If he said it, then row. If he said it, don't give up. Trust the direction that the Lord gives us. Jesus supplies us with what we need to do it too. Do you know that? Second Peter 1.3 proves it. It says, it says uh, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who was called by us, I'm sorry, call, call, who has called us by his own glory and goodness. So God made me a daddy. That means I don't need to hear God tell me it's my will for you to shepherd your children. I don't need to hear that. He made me a daddy. That was the, and, I, and I know how God feels about that. So the command is my confirmation. So God gives me everything I need to be a good dad. Yes. God, God made me a husband. And so I don't, need, I don't need to ask God, God, is it your will that I stay married today? <laughs> I, I, it is God's. I don't need to ask it though. I don't need to ask that. I know it's his, his will. God told me to love other people. And that right there, the fact that God told me to, see God, there's this phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. It's hogwash. God routinely gives us more than we can handle so that we trust him. God, God put those disciples right in a storm greater than they could handle. But God won't give you more than you can steward. I think that's true. God won't give you more than you can steward. And if, if God says it, then that means he's, you know, if he gives me the vision, then he's going to give me the provision. He pays for what he orders. Yes. So God told me to love other people. That means, because I'm a Christian and submitted to his will, that means he told me to love other people. I have the strength to love other people, even when they do things or have a perspective that I hate. Yes. Is that, did that go through? Did that go through? Exactly, that's our witness. Jesus didn't say, they will know my disciples by how right they are. <laughs> he said, they will know my, they will, they'll know who my disciples are by their love. love. If you're online, type it in the chat, love. They'll know who my disciples are because of their love. And the fact that he gave us that command, it gives us the strength. He gives us the strength to do it too. Somebody say, preach it. Preach it. Jesus called Peter to come and he gives us commands and direction and we are to follow them. What a big move Peter made to get out of that boat. Big move. However, number five, big moves don't always prove great faith. Big moves don't always prove great faith. Here it is, verse 30. But when he, talking about Peter, Peter's out on the water, he's walking towards Jesus. When Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Isn't it great that that's all we have to say to Jesus when we're in trouble? Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? This passage is so confusing to me. Because here we have Peter, who is obviously doing something amazing, something I've never done. You probably not have done also. Walked on water. Right. 
And it's like, whoa, what, what a man of great faith. And then the, the story takes a huge turn because Jesus says, what's your problem? Mr. Little Faith over here. Why did you doubt? This was not Peter's finest hour. Jesus chastised him. He didn't say almost. Better luck next time, Pete. Jesus said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? See, big moves don't always prove great faith. This was little faith, according to Jesus. And this is so confusing to me because if, if that's little faith... Peter hopped out of a boat with 11 other guys who stayed in the boat. One of them was named Judas. And who does Jesus pick out to say little faith? What were you thinking? Peter? If that's little faith, what's that mean for me? What's that mean for you? Holy cow. Make no mistake, Peter's faith was strong. But it was unsustained. He, he got out there. The scripture is very specific in what it says. He was walking, and I think, because he, he didn't, they didn't recognize Jesus, I think he took many steps. I think he took a little walk. Yes. Probably not, a, maybe, maybe a mile, I don't know, but he, he took a walk. It wasn't two steps. And, and he went out there and he did what Jesus said. Jesus said, come. And he's doing what Jesus said. And it was when he saw the waves. It was when the wind was blowing was too much. When it was, oh, man, I'm not, blah, 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 began. Then, when he got distracted, when he took his eyes off of Jesus, it was when he looked at the waves. He had strong faith, but it was unsustained faith. When Jesus said, you have little faith. I don't think he was saying little amount. I think he was saying little quality. Right. You have unsustained faith. Why did you not sustain your faith? So how are we supposed to have great faith? If that's little faith, how are we supposed to have a great faith? Good quality faith. I think it comes from Matthew 8 where there was a centurion that had faith that amazed Jesus. And Jesus was so, the Bible says he was amazed at this guy's faith. Uh, you see what happened? There was a centurion, uh, a Roman, um, Ro Roman military leader. He was in charge of about 100 soldiers in Rome. And he came to Jesus and said, he said Jesus, I have a servant that's, that's very sick. Will you, uh, he, he's very sick. And Jesus said, do you want me to come heal him? Do you want me to come to your house and heal him? And the centurion said, nah. Just speak the word. Because I, I know how it works. Come on. I trust you. Just, you could stay right there. Just, just speak the word. Come on. word. And if you speak the word, I know what's going to happen. Amen. And Jesus was astonished. He was amazed. And Jesus said, in all of Israel, I've not seen faith like that. Everybody else wants a sign. Well, he, he's good with just a word. Yes. And he gave it. You can go. It'll be like you said. And sure enough, when the guy got back, his, uh, his servant was healed. Yes. That's great faith. Yes. There was no big move that the centurion made. No jumping out of a boat. No laws of physics. 
uh, superseded, or I'm sorry, transcended. He just knew that if Jesus said it, nothing was going to stop it. He just believed that if Jesus said it, it will be. We can come to Jesus. That's a little faith. Good job. But if we can keep our eyes stayed on Jesus. I feel the wind coming. If we can keep our focus on what he said to do and not give up, that's sustained faith. That's great faith. It's not always the big moves. The Bible says it like this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to what? To stand. To stay. To be focused. To not give up. Keep rowing. Turn to the person next to you, put it in the chat, say, stand. That's what we need to do. We got to stand. Go back in your mind. Imagine being Peter walking on water towards Jesus. He was walking on water. And then the storm came. And doubt followed when his eyes went onto the waves. Whenever the eyes get off Jesus, watch out. Watch out. The secret to great faith isn't big and boisterous moves. The secret to great faith is trusting the word of Jesus. The secret of great, great faith is depending and, and centering your entire life upon him and what he said. I walk on water when I walk on his word. Christians, that's what we do. We walk on water when we walk on his word. So right after being chastised by Jesus, Peter and Jesus got back in the boat. And in my mind, I'm imagining how the story could go. The other 11 might grab Peter, put their arm around him and say, hey, Peter, let's get a towel. Jesus, can you just hang on a second? Just let us have a moment. Peter, man, stinks to be you, buddy. Why don't you go over there and dry off? You probably need just to take a little time out because you just got told. Take a little time out. We'll, we'll, we'll get, we're going to just keep you over there in the corner, cover you up with some blankets. I know we're going to get to the other side of this, this lake here, uh, but j- just stay over there because um, you probably need a couple weeks just to kind of cover up, dry off. But that's not at all what, what happened. In fact, the, um, the disciples couldn't care less about Peter. They didn't say a word to him. Let's read it. Verse 32. When they climbed into the boat... The wind died down, and then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Immediately, they knew. They got it. This is God. This is the Messiah. And when they, verse 34, when they had crossed over, they landed at Gesenaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick touch just the edge of his cloak, and all of who touched it were healed. And I'm just sure that Peter was a part of that. I think if Peter wasn't, there would be this significant verse in there about Jesus saying, now, Peter, you need to take a little time out. (laughs) 
But I really don't think that happened. Even after Peter denied knowing Jesus, when Jesus came back to life after the crucifixion, he said, go tell my disciples, ooh, and Peter. Here's number six, grace and faith, they work together, they exist for a purpose. Grace and faith exist for a purpose. My confidence is not in in the fact that I walk so well. My confidence is that when I fall, I'm close enough to him so he can catch me. My confidence isn't in my faith. My confidence is in him, in his grace. So I think it's great faith to make sure we always fall within arm's reach. <laughs> Let's fall right next to him. The way to great faith is to fall in the right place. Peter failed. This is a story of Peter's failure, in a sense. Isn't it great that he can, he can fail a test but still get the lesson? This is a story of him messing up, but he still got it because he failed. He failed right into the arms of Jesus. And then what? And then what? And then what? Then they worshiped and they continued serving. Peter wasn't excluded in ministry. He was still in. Grace and faith went together. They kept, so, so, so keep serving. There's nothing in your life that disqualifies you from God's grace. Perfection, I suppose, disqualifies you from God's grace, really. What do you need grace for if you're perfect so we need to continue live a lifestyle of consistent focus on our Lord would you stand with me we're going to ignore the waves because it's Jesus we look at we're going to ignore the distractions because it's Jesus we look at We're going to listen to the word. We're going to listen to the direction that God gives us. And stay. Stand. Don't give up. Lord, we need you. We commit to you. As we sing this next song, Lord, I pray that our hearts would increasingly be drawn to you and under submission to you and your will. Lord, we love you. We need you.